Sandspence Radio, Australia's dumbest podcast network. Hello and welcome to Dear Harry Slash Spock, a podcast where comedians read out their original fan fiction for your listening pleasure. My name is Ellen Waddell. Hello! If you're listening and you're not sure what fanfiction is, it's basically where people make up a story about stuff that already exists. And it can be about anything or anyone. I recently discovered a whole corner of the internet dedicated to fanfiction about the game Pong. Most of the stories tend to focus on the existential dread of the paddles and the fascist regime they laboured under, but still, it was pretty wacky stuff. But now some sad news. This is the last episode of our current series. And if you have enjoyed it, please review us on iTunes. Please tell your friends about it. Please subscribe to us uh, so we can keep coming back and, and making more. So this episode, our last one, is a little bit of a mixed smorgasbord of content, mostly due to the current world situation, as we've had to cancel quite a few live shows where we get many stories from. So we've got more sketches than normal and a little bit of fan fiction from me. This is a story I wanted to read out at one of our live shows, uh, but unfortunately that's not possible, so instead I'm going to read it out to you in my living room. It's my X-Files fanfiction. When I was 14, I was absolutely obsessed with the X-Files. I loved everything about it. I loved being scared by it. I loved how Fox Mulder would mansplain everything to Stanford graduate medical doctor Dana Scully, and how despite seeing multiple paranormal things on a weekly basis, she spent roughly five seasons not believing in anything paranormal. Like, there could be an alien eating a beef stroganoff in a kitchen, and she would still be like, nah, mate, it's probably science. That was a catchphrase. We all remember that. Nah, mate, it's probably science. Uh, also, my parents were going through a divorce when I was 14, so it was perfect escapism for me. And I had this very specific ritual for when I watched the show. I would get several Mr. Kipling apple pies, I would put them in the microwave, and then I would eat them all whilst watching an episode. Because Mr. Kipling apple pies are like a hug for your mouth. And no one was hugging me. And then when I went to bed, I would lull myself to sleep with a fantasy about being cast as an extra in the X-Files. But in this fantasy, I would play a dead body because it was minimum effort and also I knew my acting range. During a break from filming, I would bump into David Duchovny, who played Fox Mulder, at catering. And he would see me and he'd want to date me. And even though I was 14 and he was 38, it was cool and people would be totally chill about it. So uh, this is fanfiction about three things. Apple pies, the X-Files, and playing the role of a corpse. Also, there are some insider jokes in it for the uh, hardcore X-Files fans. They're pretty nuanced. So don't feel bad if you don't get them. So please enjoy my piece of fanfiction, which I call UFO. How about UF me? Fox Spooky Mulder put his feet up on his desk and idly threw another sharpened pencil at the ceiling above him. He was bored. He hadn't had a good case in weeks. His boss, Walter Skinner, had him investigating cyber-terrorism and international drug rings. Like, who gives a fuck, mate? Not him. How he longed for some paranormal cases. Paranormal like those sex-swapping Amish aliens, that carnivorous fungus, and that weird guy who produced slime out of his mouth so he could digest women's body fat. 
The door opened and in came Dana Scully, his cynical, God-bothering partner. What's up, Scully? he said, spookily. We have a case, she replied, cynically. Another human trafficking group that needs shutting down? Dull, said Mulder. It's a girl, Mulder, Scully said. She has died in mysterious ways. Cut to the morgue. Scully pulled back the white sheet to reveal the dead body of a 14-year-old girl. Mulder gasped, sexily. My God, that is the most beautiful dead body I've ever seen. But how did she die? asked Mulder, quizzically. We don't know, replied Scully. One moment she was standing by the microwave about to tuck into a delicious Mr. Kipling apple pie. A woman of taste, interjected Mulder, for he too knew the lore of those apple pies. Scully continued. And the next moment, she was dead. Cut to the crime scene. Mulder stood in the masonette kitchen of the sexy dead girl's house examining the microwave. Strange, he commented. It stopped at 11.21. Look, Mulder, I know what you're thinking, said Scully, but it's just another case of girl eats pie, girl dies. Mr. Kipling apple pies are the most delicious pies in the world, Mulder replied. They couldn't have killed her. This goes deeper than that. Now, mate, it's probably science, remarked Scully. Some cocky FBI man with a face and shoes entered the room. What's up, spooky Mulder, he shouted. Think this is just another case of little green men? Suck my dick, remarked Mulder, ostentatiously, pushing the dead girl's weeping mother out the way so he could square up to this prick. Whoa, lads, we've all had a drink, said Scully, getting between them. Mulder, go get some air, she instructed. And with a huff, Mulder flounced outside. Mulder stood on the porch, cooling off. He could smell smoke. Cigarette smoke. And that's when he saw a mysterious figure lurking next to the house. A man smoking a cigarette. Some kind of cigarette-smoking man. Hi, Dad, said Mulder. What? You know about that? said Algernon. Which was the cigarette-smoking man's name? Probably. Tote, said Mulder. I assume this isn't a social visit. No, said Algernon, taking a deep drag on his Marlborough. You have to drop the case, Mulder. This goes deeper than you can imagine. As deep as an apple pie filling. And with that, the cigarette-smoking man walked backwards into the shadows. Dad? Dad, come back! Come back and play catch with me! screamed Mulder, fraudulently. Who are you shouting at, Mulder? said Scully, appearing on the porch. No one, he replied, deep in thought. Mulder, don't do that thing where you work out what's going on instead of telling me you just run off. But it was too late, because he had already run off. Cut to Mr. Kipling's Apple Pie Factory. Mulder entered Washington, D.C.'s largest Mr. Kipling apple pie factory. It smelt of burnt caramel and ennui. It was late and it was empty. In fact, you could say it was deserted. Lol. He headed up to Mr. Kipling's office. There were pictures on the wall of Mr. Kipling meeting various important food company figureheads. A photo of him sitting in a bar clinking whiskies with Ronald McDonald, dancing intimately at a party with the Colonel, and sharing a joke and a cigar with Marks and or Spencers. Hello, Mulder, said a lone, deep voice, startling him out of his thoughts. He spun around, reaching for his gun. A dark figure moved out the shadow of the doorway and into the light. It was Mr. Kipling. He stepped closer to Mulder, who steadied his gun on him. Stay where you are, Mr. Kipling, he said. Calm down and call me Steve, said Steve Kipling. I just want to talk. About what? said Mulder, his grip tightening on his gun. You know about the pies, don't you, Mr. Kipling said. Mulder nodded. He did know about the pies. I know you've been implanting government secrets in those pies, which when microwaves psychically transmit the secrets to whoever eats said pie. 
Well done, said Steve. How did you work it out? Dunno, said Mulder. That pie was meant to go to the president, remarked Steve. Instead it went to that girl. So you took her out, said Mulder? Yes, but we can also bring her back. I know you've grown fond of her, so in exchange for your silence we will... At that moment, Scully burst into the room. Don't listen to him, Mulder, she cried, pulling out her gun. He's a fraud. Steve Kipling laughed and got a French fancy out of his pocket and offered one to Scully. No thanks, said Scully. I've just brushed my teeth. Mulder pointed the gun at Scully. Back off, Scully. I can save the girl the same way I couldn't save my sister. Feed her seven pies, Mr Kipling said, before vanishing in a puff of smoke. Cut to the morgue. Mulder was back at the morgue, staring at the dead girl's corpse. Scully entered the room, interrupting his sexy thoughts. Mulder, I'm worried about you, Scully said. No, you're weird, said Mulder. Look, Scully, I'm in love with this dead corpse. She has something about her. And I don't think she's really dead. I think she's just sleeping. Like one of those really deep sleeps you have where you wake up all groggy. But Mulder, Scully remarked, she has no pulse. But she still has a heart, Mulder said. And then he popped seven apple pies into the morgue microwave for two minutes, which was enough time for them to get to the perfect temperature. Just warm enough to burn the top layer off the roof of your mouth. He lovingly inserted them into the mouth of the dead girl. For a moment, nothing happened, and he floated above himself and thought, this is a bit weird, isn't it? But at that moment, Walter Skinner burst into the morgue, gun drawn. Mulder, you have to stop this now, he said. This is a bit weird. Yes, Mulder, says Scully, get away from the dead body. Dead like my sister, said Mulder. Oh, thanks for... Before Mulder could finish, the girl began to cough. Came back to life. Everyone turned to look at her in amazement as she opened up her green eyes. She's alive, said Walter. It's a miracle. No, said Mulder. It's a pie. And then he made love to her right there and then as Scully and Skinner clapped as he did. The end. I hope you enjoyed that uh, bit of weirdness. I'm incredibly proud of it. Our next story is from Rob Frimston, who, as a child, loved the adventures of Thomas the Tank Engine. As a young boy, he always wished he could visit the island of Sodor, where all the trains lived. Thanks to the magic of this podcast, his wish has come true. Ah, young Robert. Welcome to the Sodor Railway. Excuse me, young man. My name is Sir Topham Hatt. Yeah, but, like, in the stories, everyone calls you the Fat Controller. Not to my bloody face, they don't. Well, anyway... No, come on, who was it? I want names. Was it Gordon, the big engine? He's a right pompous prick. Um, so, trains... What? Oh, yes. I love trains. There's Thomas, Percy, Toby... Oh, they've got such great names. Duck... Toad, Rusty. All those ones aren't really names as such. Scarloe, Reneus, Kuldee. And now you're just making up words, but still, I'm sure that all of them are really wonderful trains. Shh. We don't use words like that here. The preferred phrase is really useful engines. Why? Because then their sense of self-worth is intrinsically tied to how hard they work for me. What happens if they don't work hard enough? Oh, well then they get to retire. Oh, that's nice. Let me finish. They get to retire to a scrapyard, where they're left to rot until they're broken down for parts. You mean you kill them? No, lad, no. It's entirely possible that they remain alive and conscious during the process. That's horrible. And it's the threat of that horror that keeps the railways running. <laughs> Trains.
Are all the trains boys? No, no, we have female engines as well. Well, how many? Two. Oh. There's Daisy, the diesel rail car. Her main personality trait is that she's stuck up. And there's Mavis, the quarry diesel. Her main personality trait is that she's stuck up. And they tell me I'm not progressive. <laughs> anyway, all the coaches are female. Oh, yes. Like Thomas's coaches, Annie and Clarabel. Do all the coaches have names and faces and personalities? No, it's pretty much just them two. The others are regular inanimate railway carriages. Wait, wait, who's that over there? Is that the drummer from the Beatles? Aye, it's Ringo Starr. He's one of our many narrators. But why is Alec Baldwin with him? Have you seen the movie Thomas and the Magic Railroad? No. No, neither has anyone else. It's deeply weird. And isn't that one of the James Bonds? That's right, it's Pierce Brosnan. He narrated Thomas the Tank Engine at one point. I'm as baffled as you. The fat controller gave Rob an incredulous look. Not now, Ringo. No. No sense of timing, that lad. Hello, Sir Topham Hatt. Oh, you're bloody kidding me. What's up? It's Henry. He's refusing to come out of a tunnel in case the rain ruins his lovely green paint with red stripes. I've got to teach him a lesson somehow. Well, if you talk to him and really get to the heart of what he's worried about, I'm sure you can come to him. Brick him up. What? Brick him up in the tunnel and leave him there. I'd like to go home now, please. Oh, sorry, lad. It's a one-way trip. You're stuck here. What? Now go over to that sentient train, climb into its head and pull all the levers until it does your bidding. Have a really useful day. Rob. Uh, you can follow Rob on Twitter at rfrimston and thanks to Juliet Burton for her excellent voice acting. You can follow her at Juliet Burton. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Next up, we have a sketch from Idil Sukun and Angus Dunnikan. It's set in Star Trek The Next Generation universe, and some of you may remember the famed security officer Tasha Yar, who was taken from us too soon by a amorphous tar blob called Armus in the episode Skin of Evil. Papa, Armus brought in the logs for the fire. What a disappointing brown noser you are, Armus, my son. Armus made our swamp hole all neat and tidy. <laughs> My farting little nincompoop. Papa, what is the point of living when all Armus feels is pain? 
My ungodly son, you may look like a seeping tar creature, but you are so much more. You are the physical manifestation of all evil, as I am, and as my father was, and his father before him. Also, you have the family poopy face. All Armas thinks of is indiscriminate murder. Now, son, that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's just a normal part of growing up as a vengeful puddle. Armas designed a three-piece suit made entirely of bladders. Yes. Armas fed a grenade to a goose. <laughs> My boy. Armas got on to the tube without letting other passengers off first. Got to be young again. But Armas... Just wants to be normal, Papa. Oh, come on, son. Come, come. Let's suckle on this elk. This elk disgusts Amos. But Amos disgusts Amos most of all. Oh, joy at last. I once, in a moment of weakness when you were very young, kissed you better when you scraped your slippery knee. Oh, how I've lived in fear that you would have grown up... Well adjusted. None of Armus's friends want to play catch with Armus anymore. Oh, soon no one will. You will throw a ball and watch it sadly roll off into a ditch. You will buy a meal for two and watch half of it tell you to fuck off. You, you, your plus one at a wedding will just be a jar of your own piss. My boy, my most goopy boy, you are you're such a mess. <laughs> oh, how I wish your mother were alive to see you. She would be so relieved. She was so ashamed at your birth that she just dried up on a windowsill. Armas now understands where all Armas's self-hatred comes from. Armas feels Armas will not channel it well. Son, come now. Eat your elk. You'll feel even more grossly bloated. Armas is a monster. Maybe that's all Armus can ever be. Now you're getting it. Who will hold Armus? Who will rock Armus to sleep at night? Who will love Armus? Oh, oh, nobody. Let me tell you, as your mother abandoned us, I will now abandon you. Yeah, vulnerable and defenseless. And under an eagle's nest, perhaps. Peckable and succulent, eh? Have to let you fend for yourself now. Who? Please, Papa, do not forsake Armas. Goodbye, Armas. Papa! Goodbye. Remember, you are awful. <laughs> Watch out for that eagle. What eagle? Thank you, Idle and Angus. I don't think you will find a better sketch about transmitted trauma than that. You can follow Idle on Twitter at IdleSukan, that's I-D-I-L-S-U-K-A-N, and Angus Dunnikan at Angus Dunnikan. So I actually co-created Dear Harry Sashbok with my younger sister, Emily, and she spent her teenage years writing Harry Potter fan fiction. She was getting quite badly bullied at school, so fan fiction to her was a form of escapism. She ended up writing 100,000 words of fan fiction, and she recently went viral because of it. I had a chat with her about her experiences. So uh, I think it was 11. When the fifth Harry Potter book came out. When the fifth Harry Potter book came out, and I was writing fan fiction around it, it was 11, 12. Yeah. And I remember how I started, because I was 
doing stuff on the internet like yep. you do in 2002 and I don't know how but I stumbled across some fan fiction and I thought it was the unreleased sixth Harry Potter book and what happened do you remember anything of what happened in the Harry Potter fan fiction I remember it got real sexy right <laughs> and I was like this is weird and making me feel feelings inspired by these feelings Emily decided to start writing her own Harry Potter fan fiction she explained a bit of the plot to me the main one I had was that Draco Malfoy mm-hmm. had a twin sister who came to school. Yeah. And that is basically the plot. And it was uh, very common that you would have that, like, a sibling would arrive or, like, someone who would, like, challenge Harry Potter's, like, grandeur in school. Yeah. And I think, like, the three, the trio or whatever hated her and she was, like, a Slytherin and she was, like, calling smoke ciggies and uh, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. She was basically Faith and Buffy. When you were... When you were putting it online, what kind of reaction were you getting? Oh, people loved it. Yeah. People loved it. (laughs) it Comments and views and stuff, and they were just like, this is amazing, I can't wait for the next chapter, I love how you write this, and I was just like, oh my god, I'm literally a genius, I can't believe I'm, like, no one likes me at school, I don't understand. (laughs) When Emily was 14 years old, she discovered a little band called My Chemical Romance, and she started hanging out on a Yahoo forum called The Ultimate My Chemical Romance Site, and that's when she discovered their fan fiction thread. She knew immediately what she had to do. Emily started writing My Chemical Romance fan fiction with two girls from the forum. They all took turns to write a chapter, and in the story each of them had a different band member as a boyfriend, documenting the innocent love between 14-year-old girls and 25-year-old rock stars. They quickly decided that Emily was the best writer in the group, and soon the responsibility fell solely on her to write all of the chapters. It was writing basically this giant mega story that yeah. had been I'm like I'm yeah was written over the course of a year yeah and by the end of it was it was around over a hundred thousand words mm. but then disaster struck Emily got a boyfriend she realised she would rather spend time with him than write fan fiction as well as concentrate on her GCSEs because in her words. French was not going well. Um, but yeah, I couldn't be asked to do it anymore. So I was like, all right, it's time to end this story. And I was like, I don't know where I got this stroke of, of genius mm. from a gift from the gods, potentially, um, where I went, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reset this year to 2001. And they're all in New York at art school, which is actually a thing. And I'm going to have them all die in 9-11. Years later, this twist was stolen and used in the popular 2010 Robert Patterson film, Remember Me, where his character dies at the end, in 9-11, and it has no relation to the plot whatsoever. Emily is considering suing. However, this story recently got her some unexpected viral fame. I drunkenly uh, told my friend Nathan mm. about this at a bar once, and he's got like a fairly decent social media following, and he basically tweeted everything I just said to you but in you know 180 characters yeah. whatever and it got like over a hundred thousand retweets. Yeah. The tweet says I'm not gonna name names, but one of my friends just revealed that she wrote a My Chemical Romance fan fiction that was a hundred thousand words long. Then she got a boyfriend but was pressurized by the girls in the online community to finish it, so she made everyone die in 9-11. It has so far been liked fifty thousand times. Nathan the tweeter followed up this tweet with This has gone too far IMO.
Um, I recorded that with Emily in Berlin. That's where she lives. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at CallSignEmily. Uh, apologies for the sound. Uh, I was quite drunk when I did it, and I'm, I'm bad at life when I'm drunk. So that's it. That is the end of season one. Thank you to all our performers, sketch writers, and actors. And thanks to you for listening. We will be back, I hope, and if you want to keep up to date with all news Dear Harry slash Spock, then follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. It's basically slash Dear Harry Spock after everything. You can also email us if you want to, I don't know, have a chat. Email us at dearharryspock at gmail.com. Goodbye for now, lovely ones. Take care of yourselves, look after each other and um, have a nice cup of tea. Dear Harry Sashbot was hosted by me, Ellen Waddell. You can follow me on Twitter at Ellen Starbuck. It was made to sound good by Steve Dawson. And you can follow him on Twitter at S. Dawson Bross. Thank you.